guys again. Good morning. Welcome to the Doxa Church. If we haven't had the the chance to, to meet yet, my name is Rob. I'm, I'm apparently the pastor that doesn't pluck his eyebrows. I don't know. We can talk about that at elder meeting tomorrow, Ronnie. But uh, yeah, guys, great day to be together. You know, this is a, this is a big day, right? I mean, Easter Sunday. For, for those of us that are Christians, I mean, this is our Super Bowl Sunday. It doesn't get much bigger than this, right? It's, it's everything. And, and if you think about it, guys, that the, the sadness of Good Friday, the, the silence of Saturday, guys, has erupted into celebration on this Sunday because of what Jesus has done, that he is risen, that he is alive, and there is a big reason to celebrate and to gather as the church and to proclaim his victory and to sing, guys, it is a big, big day because he's alive. This is the thing for Christianity. It rises and falls on the, on the resurrection. It's absolutely necessary because consider this, guys, if Jesus is dead, then Christianity is dead. But if Jesus is alive, then Christianity is completely alive. The apostle Paul says it this way. You can look on the screen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul, he says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And it's important for us as we, as we gather together, guys, is to know this, is that apart from the resurrection of Jesus, there is no savior. There's no salvation, there's no forgiveness of sin, and there's no hope for eternal life with God. That apart from the resurrection, Jesus is just simply reduced to yet another good, but dead man. And really of, of no significance and help to any of us if it's not true. I mean, plainly stated, guys, Jesus, without the resurrection, means that a, a few billion people that are gathered around the world right now to celebrate Easter and to, to declare and to worship Jesus as God, they're just gullible. And their faith and their hope is, is really, quite honestly, just foolish. And so all that to be said, guys, the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus is without question profoundly important for us and significant. That if the resurrection is true, that means literally all of our eternities hang in balance with faith in Jesus. But if it's not true, on the flip side, right, that, that every church, this church, we need to close our doors. Guys like me, we need to be fired and I need to be looking for another job because it's all false. And so if it's that important, we, as we need to have certainty, all right, about the validity of the resurrection. Because if we have certainty, then guys, you can just sit there and make a good decision. That if you're presented with the facts and the information, it is then that we can actually make a decision of what to do with Jesus. And the best way, guys, for us to examine and to consider the resurrection for the purpose of, of having certainty is not through spirituality, all right? It's not through philosophy, but it's through history. And this is what we're going to do today, okay? And the way that we're going to do this is we're going to look at the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible, open up to the Gospel of Luke. If you haven't been with us since we launched this church, all right, about eight months ago now, we've been studying through this historical text, which is about the, the birth, the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And we're almost done with this study. We have two more weeks to go. And while we're going to be in chapter 24 today, we're going to start back at the beginning in chapter one. So you can open up to chapter one of Luke's gospel. If you don't have a Bible and you're visiting, guys, we would love to give you one as a gift. On your way out, you can stop by the welcome table and grab one. This is what we do at Doxa. We gather as the family of God and we just simply open up the Bible and we rally around the gospel and we let God teach us and then we ask for the courage and the discipline to actually follow and be like Jesus. This is all we do. But while you get to chapter one, let me say this. 
Guys, Christianity is, is not rooted, all right, in, in spirituality or philosophy. It's ultimately rooted in history. In the, in the Gospel of Luke is written by a guy named Luke who is not just an author, but he's also a physician and he was also a historian. And so Luke, as he writes this account, all right, he, this is important for us to know that he doesn't base his credibility on religious inspiration, but he does so on his presentation of history, which can withstand even the most intense academic historical scrutiny. And from the very beginning, Luke makes it abundantly clear why he is writing this historical account. Look at verse one in chapter one. Luke says this, inasmuch as many have taken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, he says, okay, this history, I'm writing a history to you, just as those from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write to you an orderly account, all right, a history of Jesus to write to you an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty. I want you to circle certainty in your Bible concerning the things that you have been taught. So Luke, he begins this historical account with Jesus and he's crystal clear as to why he is writing this book. Look at verse four again. Luke says, you Theophilus, all right, he's saying, you Rob Warren, you Doxa Church, you every single person that is listening and reading this book, Luke is talking to you this morning. And he's saying, here's what you need to know. I'm writing this for what? That you can have certainty in all things concerning Jesus, especially the resurrections, what validates everything about Jesus. And the way that he does this, guys, the way that he seeks to give us certainty is he seeks to give us a steadfast theology based upon good history. And you need to know as we get into this historical account today, this is actually good history. This is not like mythology. This isn't a children's book. This is actual history. If you're a history guy or girl, I studied history in college. Uh, Sir William Ramsey is for for sure a name that you have heard before. All right, one of the most famous scholars of of world history, known and respected all over the world as a a historian. For much of his life, he he doubted the historicity of Luke. All right, he would, he would say, okay, I know that there's this declaration that Christians say he was a historian. I don't believe that it's actually true. And so what he decided to do is give much of his life to researching the gospel of Luke to find out if it was historically accurate. And as he came to a conclusion of his, of his writing and his study, this is what he said, and I quote, Luke's history is unsurpassed in regards to its trustworthiness. He uses names of officials and very specific details and people as he has searched it out, and it's emphatically true and reliable history. Because what we're about to look at is rooted in that type of accurate history. And so Luke is saying to us, I'm working with God through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so that you can know for certain these things about Jesus are true. And so that you can be with, stay with, and enjoy your life with God now and in eternity. And this is, guys, this is my goal as we look at this. So turn to Luke chapter 24. So from the first chapter to the last, all right? And here's where we're at in our study. Luke chapter 22, Jesus is betrayed. His best friend betrays him, turns him over to the officials to be arrested. Chapter 23, Jesus is is handed over to the governing rulers and authorities. They sentence him to be scourged and ultimately to be crucified. Jesus, he, he dies at the end of chapter 23, And he's buried in a rich man's tomb. 
named Joseph of Arimathea. And at this point in, in human history, there is really no disagreement as to what Luke has just put forth as true. All right, that recorded history, you, you can't deny that Jesus was a real man. You can't deny that, that Jesus actually died. And you can't deny, really, that Jesus was even crucified and buried. All right, this, oh, you don't need a Bible for that. You don't need faith. You just need a history book. This is what is happening. But while there's not any like contention with that, as we get into chapter 24, this is where some disagreement and some skepticism kind of comes in. Not just from people today, but from his disciples back then, which we'll see. But Luke, or chapter 24 gives way to what we call Easter and causes some issues. So let's read this. Luke chapter 4, or 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you, while still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna... And the Mary, of mother, or the Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words were seemed, seemed to have them idle tale, and they did not believe them. Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves and went home marveling at what had happened. Now, in this account of the resurrection, Luke gives us a bunch of things to consider, but he specifically gives us six historical realities by which he means to give us certainty in our faith and our Jesus and our eternity. All right? But as we hear Luke's gospel account of this resurrection, guys, it's not difficult to see why some people are tempted to just dismiss this record as like an old wives' tale or some type of mythology. I mean, honestly, no matter how Christian you are, whether you popped out of your mother's womb and your first word was Jesus, right, or you're still figuring it out, you read this and you can honestly say, okay, there's some difficulty in understanding this. I mean, really? Some, you're telling me a dead guy rose. I haven't seen that yet. It's crazy. And if you look back to verse 11, if that's you and you're kind of like having this, this good skeptical view of this, verse 11 would put you in the same place as the apostles, that they heard this news from these women and they were like, there's no way this is true. This has got to be crazy. This is nonsense. But remember Luke's objective to give us certainty. He wrote everything to give us certainty, although it might seem crazy and hard to believe, it's emphatically true, and it's rooted in history. So I want to give you six historical, biblical, circumstantial pieces of, of evidence and reality that we find in Luke's text right here to ultimately give us certainty. And guys, and I'll say this, as I'm giving this, it's my hope that, that if you're not a Christian today and you're here, I pray and hope that you give your life to Jesus. Because today is a great day for that, and I'm going to give you six reasons why you can trust in Jesus. Number one, look back at verse one. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. I want you to circle tomb, the tomb in your Bible. They went to the tomb taking spices they had prepared. And guys, I think this is incredibly significant in works to give us certainty. That you, do you know, like, the reality is, is that we do not actually know where the tomb of Jesus is located, 
I mean, we, we have a few good guesses as we can trace back like historical records to Joseph of Arimathea because he was a rich man, he had this tomb, but we're not really completely sure of where this tomb is because it was never enshrined. And that in itself is, is significant, right? Because very different from other tombs around the world and other major places where, where founders of religions are buried, that you can go to tombs all around the world of these religious founders and you can know for certain that they're there, that their bodies are there because people have been visiting there consistently since they had died. For example, if you, if you look at Judaism, right? Abraham, the founder, he's buried in this, the city of Hebron and many go there and remember him. People who follow Buddhism can go to a place in India, right? Where, where some of Buddha's cremation remains still are located. We, his body was cremated, so they're not all there, but we know for certain that they're there because people have been visiting there and worshiping, and they will tell you that part of Buddha's remains are there. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is buried in Medina. And in the same way, people go there, and they make pilgrimages there, and treks there, and these sacred trips, and we could keep going. But the point is this, is that do you know who is buried in, in Abraham's, in Buddha's, in Muhammad's tomb? Okay. Abraham, Buddha, and Muhammad. They're there. You know who's buried in Jesus' tomb? Nobody. Jesus is alive. He is not there. And that is why no one has even cared to enshrine the tomb. There's no point in going back. There's no point in going there to pray. There's no point in going there to light a candle. It doesn't matter because it is literally empty. And he is alive and well. We don't know where it is because it was never enshrined and no one even cared. Number two, verse one again, look back. But on the first day of the week, circle first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb. Now, guys, after the resurrection of Jesus, worship forever changed. All right, the ancient historian Pliny the Younger recorded that Christians began gathering at sunrise on Sundays to worship Jesus. And you need to understand, because that doesn't sound big because you're here at sun, well, it's not sunrise. If it was at sunrise, you guys would not come, okay? But you gotta understand how significant this is, all right? Because for Jews, the Sabbath, which was observed on, uh, on Saturdays, the last day of the week, it was a huge deal for them. They would never disassociate with the Sabbath. And even more than that, as a good Jew, you would know the 10 commandments. And one of the 10 commandments forbids the worship of any other God, of a false God. And so for a Jew to worship Jesus on a Sunday, a non-Sabbath day, this would have been crazy. This would have never happened. Something major would have needed to happen. I mean, they're violating two of the major things that they would say this would send us straight to hell and we're not part of God's family anymore. What happened? And we could say, okay, well, that's plenty of the younger, but I don't know if that he actually was a good historian. Well, guys, we can look at secular history even more. The historian Lucian of Samosota, he recorded that multitudes of people, even Jews, began worshiping Jesus as God after his resurrection. It happened. And there's no explanation for the shift in Jewish worship to worshiping Jesus aside from the resurrection actually happening. And how do you explain intensely religious people that killed Jesus, all of a sudden saying, you know what, let's worship him and we're gonna violate the Sabbath and now there's another God. Something happened. Even more, consider Jesus' family. Because as we see after the resurre resurrection, Jesus' family began to worship him as God. 
His mother, Mary, who was a devout Jew, we see in Acts chapter one, they're in the upper room and she's praying with the disciples and she's praying to her son, Jesus, as God. Jesus' brothers, James and Jude, who thought Jesus was completely insane. After his resurrection, they become pastors, right? They, they write books of the Bible. They worship Jesus as God. The resurrection is the only way to explain this. Jesus is alive. Let me give you another. Number three, verse two and three. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, verse three, but when they went in, I want you to circle this next part, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Because the body of, of Jesus was, was never found. And early on, there was an attempt to kind of give another um, storyline, if you will, of, of what happened to Jesus' body. And the Jews of this, this time said that, that somebody um, stole Jesus' body. But the reality is, is, guys, this explanation is just indefensible for at least three reasons. Number one, the tomb was, was closed with an enormous rock, and it was guarded by the Roman government. I mean, history records that there were Roman soldiers there that were armed. And so to think that a couple of unarmed disciples and some women showed up and defeated the Roman guard and then rolled back a giant, it's just, it's not, it's not plausible. Number two, if the body had been stolen, a reward would have been issued and certainly something would have turned up. Right? And even more, guys, the disciples, all the apostles were killed. They were tortured. And as all these Christians were being killed, you would think that someone would be like, you know what, it was a game, bad joke, okay, don't kill Grandma Martha, okay, you know? Like, it wouldn't have happened. And number three, even if the body was stolen, guys, you still have to account for the fact that Jesus appeared to over 500 people after he, was di after he died and was buried. And that might seem like 500 people. We live in a city of, of 500,000. Population size was different, right? 500 people was a lot of people. There's no other way to explain it. Josephus, the Jewish historian who wrote a historical document called the Testimonium Flavenim, he wrote this. He says that Jesus appeared to his people after the death. He records this. And so we have to ask, why nobody? Why was no body ever recovered? Guys, there was no body to recover. Jesus is alive. Number four, let's keep going. Verses three through eight. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. These angels appear. And as they were frightened and bowed their face to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek to the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. I want you to underline this next part. Remember how he told you. While he was still in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered into hands of sinful men and crucified and on the third day rise. And underline this part of verse eight. And they remembered his words. Because that word remember points us to the prophecies that are recorded throughout the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus. That roughly 700 years before Jesus' birth, the prophet Isaiah promised that Jesus would be born into humble circumstances, would live a simple life, he would die a terrible death, and that he would rise back to take away our sin. You can see that in, in Isaiah chapter 53. And it all happened just as Isaiah said. Even more, Jesus predicted his own death. On numerous occasions, Jesus said plainly, I'm going to be killed, but I'm going to come back three days later. You look at Matthew chapter 12, Mark 8, John 2. Guys, prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus is alive. You look at over 300 prophecies throughout the Bible. 
were fulfilled in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. Number five, verse nine, keep going through this passage. In returning from the tomb, they told all these things, circle this part, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. Now, guys, think about the, the spread of Christianity. All right, guys, before Jesus' resurrection, the disciples were quite honestly cowards. They were filled with fear. And if you're like, oh, you're being too harsh, right? Well, think back to the crucifixion scene. All the disciples dispersed. John was there. The disciples, they dispersed and they were in hiding because they were afraid of being lumped in with Jesus and being arrested and killed like them, like he was. We see this with Peter, whom as Jesus is going to be crucified, he's walking through the city in hiding and some woman says, hey, aren't you that guy? You're with Jesus, right? And Peter's like, no, chill out with that. No, I'm good, right? And she's like, no. And she questions him again. She's like, no, you're, you sound just like him. You're, you're one of them. And he looks at her and he's just like, hey, this is not me. I don't know him. I don't follow that guy. I, I don't know. He's just crazy. He dismiss, and he denies Jesus three times. But what happens next? You remember it? Jesus is killed. He comes back to life. He presents himself to the disciples and 500 other people. And the resurrection literally changes everything. All of a sudden, these people that were following Jesus who were scared to death are not afraid of death anymore. And like Peter, they start boldly preaching that Jesus is God. They start boldly preaching and proclaiming the gospel. And they go, and Christianity spreads. And Peter is even killed. The disciple, I mean, Peter is killed and martyred like the other disciples in a violent way. They, they crucified Peter. And he didn't stop preaching until, it was, until he was dead. And history records that Peter, at his crucifixion, okay, this is kind of how intensely Peter believed that he saw Jesus. He's like, you cannot crucify me like my friend and my savior and my king, Jesus, so do me upside down. And they crucified him upside down. How do you explain a coward like that, that was in fear, that was denying Jesus, to all of a sudden now saying, you know what? I'm not going to stop talking about Jesus. You can go ahead and crucify me upside down. What happened? The resurrection. You look at the book of Acts, 120 people following Jesus. All of a sudden, the resurrection happens, and it blows up to billions of people today because there's no other explanation besides the resurrection. If you woke up this morning, you saw that in Sri Lanka, there was a bombing of Christian churches during Easter celebrations. Over 200 people to this, at this point that, I, that I've known, two, over 207 people, Christians, were killed for their faith. We don't know anything about that type of persecution, but it happens. And in Sri Lanka, there is a very, very um, small presence of Christians it's not popular. And they're killed. Now, the ironic thing about that is that those Christians aren't afraid of death because Jesus defeated it. And, and I watch, watch what happens in the aftermath of this. Christianity in Sri Lanka is not going to be like, oh, my gosh, like, we, should, we should chill out about Jesus because maybe this whole thing isn't real. God is going to move, and the gospel is going to go forward, and the church is going to be built, 
and more and more people are going to come to know Jesus because this is what the Holy Spirit of God does. He empowers his people to be bold because Jesus is alive. This is what's happening. And finally, number six, verse 10. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. Now I want you to circle women. Consider the women. Women discovered the tomb of Jesus. In our day, in our city, this might not seem like a big deal, but you need to understand, in first century Judaism, women were not highly esteemed, and their testimony, guys, was not even admissible in a court of law. I mean, a Jewish man in his prayers every day would thank God in the morning that he had not been born a Gentile or a woman. And that sounds like insane. Like you're like, oh my gosh, like bring him the Madison, right? <laughs> but right, this is insane. And it is insane. It's terrible. But this is historical facts. All right, this is what it was like in these days. Now consider this, guys. If you were going to make up a story about a resurrected man and attempt to, to concoct a credible lie about Jesus coming back to life, you would have never used women. Never. I mean, the fact that women are mentioned here as discovering Jesus' tomb, I mean, gives us credibility in its confirmation and affirmation. And Luke's saying, here's the certainty that you need to know that Jesus and everything about him is emphatically true. And I hope, guys, as you're hearing all of this and wrestling with what Luke is giving us here, that you're beginning to have this sense of, of certainty, right? That following Jesus right, is, is not just getting caught up in, in spirituality. It's not just getting caught up in emotions. It's rooted in academia. It's rooted in history. This is what happened, and Luke is saying that here you can have certainty. And I hope that you're beginning to, to experience this, that Jesus is alive, the resurrection is true. And I love, guys, how he concludes this. Luke wraps up the account of the resurrection by showing us the response of Peter. Right? And it gives us the overall message of the resurrection. Look at verses 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. Okay, it was, they were just like, okay, these women are crazy. Well, I don't know what they're smoking. They were at the tomb. They found something. They're coming back. I'm not doing this. But look what happened. But Peter, circle but Peter. But Peter, what did he do? He rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Because try to put yourself in the shoes of the men and women following Jesus after he had been killed. I mean, you've given so much to this guy that he's your teacher. He claimed to be God. You put all your hope in him and your trust in him as your friend, but not just your friend, your king and your savior, the one who is gonna to claim to give you eternal life. You sold your possessions. You walked away from businesses. You walked away from family and friends and you're following Jesus. You literally have given up everything to follow this guy. And now you watch him be killed and buried. And you're sitting there just completely confused, de dejected, and just paralyzed, questioning everything. I mean, I, I picture the disciples kind of like a football team sitting in the locker room at halftime when they're losing 50 to nothing, right? And they're just like, what the heck is going on? 
I don't know what just happened. This is not how I played it out. I know one thing, I'm not going back out on the field. And the disciples, they're sitting there. And then they see the leader. They see Peter with the C on his chest, the captain of the team. And they're looking at him. And Peter has messed up more than anyone. He's denied Jesus. And you can almost picture what Peter would be like sitting there in that silence of Saturday. He turned his back on Jesus. He denied him. Not just once, but three times. And he's probably playing back that scene. You guys been there before? You mess up big. And then for days, weeks, months, years, some of you are still living in that 20 years ago. And you replay that moment. And you're like, man, I just wish I could go back and tell little Rob, don't do that. Peter's sitting there in that silence, in that guilt. And all of a sudden, he hears, hey, the tomb is empty. It's one of those moments that Peter, it just changed everything. It's like the tomb is, is empty. Jesus isn't there. And Peter hears this, and what does he do? He hops up. These other guys that he's with are like, you guys are crazy, right? And he hops up, and he starts running. He's running. Running to check it out. Why? Guys, you ask why. Why is he running? This was his only hope, wasn't it? I mean, this was literally his only hope, that if Jesus is alive, and he certainly has the message for the, his disciples and his friends that he's alive, and Peter is thinking like, okay, he's got something to share with us, his group of friends, his followers, and, it, and maybe there's some hope for me. And so he runs, and guys, there is hope for Peter, and he runs after it. And this is actually the wonderful story of the resurrection, that there is hope for those of us who have really messed up in a big way. This is the beautiful story of the resurrection. There is hope for those of us and those of you who are broken, you're messed up, you're sinful, you're immoral, you're filling the blank. And this hope comes from the truth that because of what Jesus did, we can trust all that he said. And I want you to know this, guys. I don't follow Jesus because of what he said. I really don't. There's been a ton of great people that have lived throughout the history of the world that have sent a lot of great things. No, no. I don't follow Jesus because of anything he said. I follow Jesus because of what he did. And because of what he did, it validates everything that he said. And the message of the resurrection is that you are more broken and sinful than you can even imagine, but you are simultaneously more loved than you can even fathom. It's the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And I want you to know, guys, you are Peter. I am Peter. Whether you know it or not, you're broken, you're messed up, you're sinful. There's one perfect person at Doxa, and his name is Jesus. That's why we sing songs to him, that's why we pray to him, that's why we teach about him. The rest of us have a lot of issues. And that sin in all of our lives has keep, keeps us from God. It brings about separation. But God so loved the world that he gave Jesus. That if we believe in him, we'd have eternal life. He brings us back. In the death of Jesus, he takes all of our sin, gives us his righteousness, and as he raises from the dead, 
He seals everything. He brings us into his family. So when we hear words like this, take a look at this. In Mark chapter 115, we hear Jesus come on the scene and he begins his ministry by saying this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. He's saying, the time is now. I am God. I've ridden into your life right now and I'm near you. I've presented myself to you. Now here's your response. Repent and believe the gospel. Because this is the invitation for every single one of us today. Only, oh, hear this, only because the resurrection is true. And when he says repent, guys, repent, you know, we have this weird view. Maybe you feel like repent, I need to like whip myself or say I'm terrible or anything like that. I don't know. That's weird. Repent literally means to change the way that you think. This is what repentance is. You change the way that you think. And so Jesus, he says, I'm here. Now you need to change the way that you think. Change the way that you think about yourself. You're really not that great, but you're not that bad because I made you. You need to change the way you think about your sin because it's a real thing, even if you're suppressing it and think that it's not. It's, not. it's a real thing and it's, and it's causing a chasm to exist between God and you. And you need to change the way that you think about Jesus. And that's the invitation for all of us today. For those of you who are Christians, you, we get used to Jesus. We get used to the message of the resurrection. And we're just like, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's my Jesus. He's saying, no, you got to understand the majesty and the beauty and the power of that. Change the way that you think so that your worship and your, the, your praise just erupts. And if you're not a Christian and you're like viewing Jesus as just kind of like, okay, I, I guess he existed. But he's certainly not. He's saying, change the way that you think. Because the resurrection does all of that. And when he says, believe, repent and believe, he's saying that this is just your faith lived out. Believe literally means to align your life with the ways, the works, and the words of Jesus. So the invitation, the message of the resurrection is hope for all mankind. And Luke has been hammering home that this good news, this gospel, guys, is for all people. Period. It's not your, your, your white, rich people that live in Madison. It is literally for everybody, for all types of people. And it's not just for men, it's for women. And it's not just for wealthy and affluent women, it's, it's for broken women. We see Jesus interacting with prostitutes and poor people and all of these people. It is literally for everybody. The gospel is good news. And Jesus, through the resurrection, has put a stamp on that and says, it is true. Now celebrate that and take that message to the world. And that is the only reason why I'm standing here right now. Because it's actually true. And my job is just to stand here and just say it. You guys just take it and figure out what you want to do with it. Let's pray. God. It's, it's times like this that I can hear myself talk and, and be convicted that I don't even know if I um, have fully let that sink in of what you've done through the resurrection. And so, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, for looking at a, at a man like me, just like pathetic, weak, running away from you with everything that I had. And in those moments, of those darkest moments of, of sin and just taking a advantage of other people and just being just a, 
a pathetic excuse for a man. You broke in and you said, I love you. And you're worth it. And you died in my place for my sin. And you rose to secure eternity for me. And I just thank you that that is true. And so would you help us all to wrestle with what this means for us as individuals. Don't let us just move out of this moment without even giving a consideration, but let this just well up in certainty that we would come to you, Jesus, as our great God and King and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.